Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Trick Talks. My name is Barbara Lally and today we are going to speak to Caroline. So we're going to give her a few moments to log into the live and then join. I see her now. Hello! Hi! How are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. You ready to get started? I'm ready to go. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about your Trichotillomania? Mm -hmm. How you started? Where did you start pulling from? Things like that. Yes, yeah, so I guess this has been a very long journey for me. Um, as a very small kid, I'd say around two or three, I used to twist my hair into knots. Um, to the point where my mum used to have to cut my hair out because I had so many knots in it. So I guess that was probably the first hint of my trick. Um, then when I was around seven, I started pulling it out and I pulled it out for around a year and then stopped. And then I moved country from England to Ireland. Um, and at that stage, I guess it was a stressful time in my life. So uh, yeah, when I was around 10, I started pulling it again and I haven't stopped since. Mm -hmm. I pulled from my head. Sorry, I forgot to say that from my scalp. So yeah. have you noticed that, um, I know you said you stopped for a little bit. Have you noticed that there have been times where you have been pulling less or do you think it's pretty consistent for you? No. So at the, at the moment, this is the longest I've ever gone without pulling it, which is two months. Um, and I'm putting that down to having my hair covered all the time. So beforehand, I think maximum I go would be a day or two other than those years where I stopped but no, for me, it's been pretty consistent. <laughs> is there a certain area that you, you know, gravitate toward or is it kind of all over? Yeah, so for me, it's always been um, the very top of my head up along here. Mm -hmm. um, and then both sides, they're the two. Uh, I don't really, I've never pulled my eyebrows or my eyelashes or anywhere else in my body. It's always just been my head, mm -hmm. which I guess I'm quite grateful for in a way. <laughs> So when you were younger and you started to pull, did you have you ever heard of the name trichotillomania? How did you learn? No, um, I only learned it was a thing when I was, I'd say, 14 or 15, um, because I thought up until that stage that it was just some sort of habit that like biting my nails. Because I've, I've bitten my nails my whole life mm -hmm. and I just thought it was the same thing, really. Um, but then, yeah, when I was around 14 or 15, I decided to Google it. I think I just Googled, you know, why do I pull my hair out? And at that stage, I found the TLC charity um, and I could put a name on it, which for me was a massive thing that I could actually put a name on something I was doing rather than just thinking it was something wrong with me in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, feeling like I'm not the only one in the world yeah like knowing there were other people i mean at that stage i don't think they knew the extent of how many people because that would have been you know 10 years ago mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I think it was just so nice knowing that i wasn't the only one in the world because up until that stage i thought i was the absolute only person who did it mm -hmm. and how did your family not necessarily react but how did they you know they help support what when they found out that you knew there was a name for it how did that feel for you? Um, I guess it was, yeah, it was, it was a weird one. Um, I think I didn't, because they obviously knew I pulled my hair and they knew I pulled my hair 
for my like a very long time. They were very concerned about it. Mm. Um, and I think it took me a while to tell them that I'd found a name for it. Because mm. I, didn't, I didn't really like talking about it. I didn't like bringing it up. It just, I think it made, made it feel worse mm. for me if I started talking about it. So I never really talked about it. So I think I probably didn't approach them and say, no, this has a name, it's a thing, until maybe three years afterwards. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean... I, I guess it's hard to describe like obviously they didn't react and say wow that's amazing <laughs> um, but I think yeah I think they were glad for me that it wasn't just a habit but I, yeah it, it took a while to convince my family it wasn't just a habit and it was something mm-hmm. that is diagnosable mm-hmm. but yeah they, they're, they're incredibly supportive now incredibly incredibly supportive and you know they, they've done their own research and they've helped me out with therapy and getting this wig and everything so mm-hmm. now do you remember the moment where you're like okay I'm gonna tell them now or did it kind of just come out for you tell them about the name or tell them that I pulled my hair tell them about the name um no I don't remember <laughs> I don't remember I think yeah I don't remember the time or the place I just remember feeling very uncomfortable about talking about it mm-hmm. so yeah I, I don't think I told them for ages though mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you were younger and you were pulling from your scalp, did you wear wigs back then? Or what, what was that? No. Um, I guess for me, I didn't wear wigs because I thought it would make it more obvious that there was something wrong, mm-hmm. which I guess is slightly counterintuitive. But no, I, I didn't wear wigs. Up until, the, up until I was around 17 or 18, it actually wasn't noticeable that I pulled my hair at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my hair grew back very quickly. I had a lot of it. Uh, so until I was around 17 or 18, you couldn't tell. I mean, I'd have, I'd have bull patches, but they'd be completely covered. And I was very good at covering them. I'm sure that, you know, most people would trick. No, you get very good at covering things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't have to cover it for ages. Then when I got to 18 or 19, it stopped growing back as well. So I got very thin at the front, especially, and on top. So at that stage, I would just wear kind of bandanas, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Bandanas, or I might like fill it in with some eyeshadow mm-hmm. um, or brow shadow or whatever. Um, I found as well, they had, you know, L'Oreal have this can, which I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a can of almost like dye, but it's 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 to cover up gray hairs. I used to use that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, no, I didn't. I didn't start wearing wigs until I told people about it, until I became more comfortable, because at that stage, I felt comfortable wearing a wig. Mm. Yeah. So what led you to feeling more comfortable to start telling people? Um, I guess it's not that I ever felt more comfortable. It's just that it was having such a negative impact on my life. I had to do something about it. Um, it was around... I'm trying to think what around three years ago I'd say at this stage it was getting to the stage where I was so ashamed of it and I was so uncomfortable about it that I was finding it even hard to leave the house you know I, I found it very difficult to go to college or university I found it very hard to meet my friends very hard to go out because I was always so worried about covering it mm-hmm. and it just got to a stage where I just started into a new relationship and I was so nervous about that too that it was having such a negative impact on my life that I just decided that the only way I was going to make it better would be if people knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because then I, you know, I'd still feel uncomfortable about it and I'd still feel quite self-conscious, but I wouldn't be covering it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, well, physically I would be covering it, but I wouldn't be covering this thing about me anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I decided I, I posted it on Facebook um, with pretty, like, you know, stark photos of my hair uncovered. Um, I posted about it on Facebook and just kind of did this tell-all and said, you know, I, I've, I, this is what I have and I've been doing it for my majority of my life and I don't really want to be ashamed of it anymore because it's having such a negative impact on my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's why I decided to. It was less that I felt comfortable about it. In fact, it was probably the stage in my life where I felt most embarrassed about it that I decided to talk about it, which I guess is probably different from other people. I feel like a lot of people start talking about it when they become more self-accepting of it. But for me, it was the complete opposite. It was like I was so distraught about it that I couldn't hide it anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's why I told everybody. Well, that's amazing because, like you said, you might see on you know in the media, hey, I'm, not, I'm feeling my best. I'm going to share everything. But you have not. Yeah. And that's great, too, because you're at the point now where we're openly talking about it to yeah. people on the Internet. But you did have that moment where like I have to share or I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, I was going through like I was just going down such a bad road in my life mm-hmm. that I knew if this was something I continued to cover up, it was just going to continue having a negative impact. Whereas since I started telling people, I've. It, that's what started making me more comfortable about talking about it. Once everybody knew I had nothing left to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, so it meant then, like, I didn't mind wearing wigs because everyone knew why I was wearing a wig. So they weren't questioning, going, oh, what's wrong with her? Why does she suddenly have all her hair? Is she sick? Blah, blah, blah. It meant that I could go around and have thin hair and, yes, feel slightly self-conscious, but know that people understood. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it got to a stage where, I shaved my head and again I was so open about it I told everybody why I was doing it I said on this day I'm shaving my head that's what's happening mm-hmm. um this is why it's going to make me feel better and it just meant that I wasn't scared to do it and I wasn't scared of what people would think because they'd know why yeah that's just so it's so freeing to hear all this that. Yeah. Just because I, I know that you know, in my personal experience and from other tricks that I've heard, trick is like this dirty secret. Like we don't want to tell anybody. Things are weird. But when you do tell, it, like, oh, why didn't I tell people before? You know. So yeah. Own it. Yeah. Now, like my whole life, it was something I hid. You know, <clears throat> it was the biggest thing I was hiding. Mm-hmm. And again, like as I was saying, you know, I just started into a relationship, and I, I knew, you know, if I was hiding such as big 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 part of me mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to be honest about other things you know it, it just made me much more of an honest person as well mm-hmm. so it's just, it's something I needed to get off my chest <laughs> yeah definitely now when you shared that did you find that people were reaching out to you like the same thing yeah um yeah definitely so I that day when I put it up on Facebook I had a few people get on to me um and say oh, I do this too. I, I pull the hair on my arms. I pull the hair on my eye, eyebrows. I didn't realize this was, you know, a, a diagnosable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, since then, like on Instagram, I am very open about it now. Um, and I do try and raise a lot of awareness. And, you know, I'd say once every few weeks, I get a friend or an acquaintance or someone I've come across message me and say, 
this, you know, actually, I think I'm suffering with something very similar to you. Thank you for being honest about it. So it just means that less and less and less people are suffering the same shame, mm-hmm. shame as I did because they're aware that it is something that it's not just them. There's, there's so many of us, you know. And I want to talk to you about the moment of deciding to shave your head because that's like a very huge moment in a lot of people's lives, a lot of trickster lives. A little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think it was April two years ago. So yeah, around then. Um, it had gotten to the stage where I was just pulling my hair all the time. Uh, my hair was really thin on the top, on the sides. And in a way, I was just kind of worried of doing more damage to it. I was very worried that it wouldn't grow back. So I, I yeah, I just, I guess, I, and again, I did this without any support. I did this without, like, now I have a massive big BF4B community and I have so many friends I've made through it. But this, again, was something I kind of did alone. <laughs> um other than a few friends, you know, I had a friend come with me to the hairdressers, which was so nice of her, you know, because it was a really, really scary moment. As much as I was prepared for it, and I knew it was a thing I needed to do to help myself feel better. Mm-hmm. Having someone there did really make a big difference. Um, but I just I just knew it's what I needed to do to at least give myself a circuit breaker to just be able to let my hair recover a bit. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that. Yeah, I guess it was it wasn't to stop me pulling per se. It was more, I just needed to give my hair a chance to recover because it wasn't growing back at that stage. And I, that was something I was really worried about. Mm-hmm. And then how did it feel when you were in the hair? First of all, a hairdresser can't be very, like, triggering for, for people. because you. <laughs> so how, did you at that time, was going to the hairdresser something that had made you anxious or you just, you had been, you know, continued going? Yeah, I I was very, very anxious as a hairdresser's, um, kind of more and more and more so as I got older. Because, uh, you know, this at this stage, this had been 10 years of trying to cover up my hair pulling when, I guess it still is now, but, you know, 10 years ago, it was even more stigmatized. People didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. So you'd go to the hairdresser's and they wouldn't be understanding. That's quite different now. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, going to a hairdresser's and if you had ball patches, they were more likely to berate you about it rather than help you. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily for me, I just worked three doors down from my hairdressers mm-hmm. and they were all really lovely and I had a really good relationship with them all because they would always be in the shop when I worked there. Um, so they already knew. They already knew about the hair pulling. They knew I was having serious issues with it because over the years they've been trying to come up with kind of creative hairstyles <laughs> to try and cover it up. Um, so when I went in, I talked to the owner of the hairdressers and actually, no, what happened was I went in and I said it to the hairdresser and said, I want you to shave all my hair off. And she went, what? (laughs) Are you sure? And I was like, no, I, no, I, I seriously want you to shave all my hair off. So she went and she got the manager because she obviously didn't want to be um, accountable if she shaved my hair off and I was going through a mental breakdown. Mm. Um, so she went to the manager and I just was open with the manager and I said, look, I've been coming here for a few years now. You know, I pull my hair, you know, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of patches. I just want to shave it off and stop myself from harming my hair anymore. Mm-hmm. And when I said it to her, she's like, 
no, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> so she did it for me. She didn't even give me a warning. You know, sometimes they, they cut your hair and then shave it. No, straight down the middle. <laughs> so I was, I was very lucky that I did live near, live near such a nice hairdressers and they were very accepting of it. And they'd had other clients with it too. Oh, nice. So it, I wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was very lucky in that respect, but it's still, it was, it was nerve wracking um, getting it done. And like, I know all the other hairdressers were kind of watching from behind their hands when it was happening. Um, it was also very cold. <laughs> mm. You go from a full head of hair to no hair. So yeah, pretty chilly. But yeah, so that that's what happened when I shaved it off. Mm-hmm. And when it was all like said and done and that was it, what was that feeling that you had? Were you like, Whoa, like what, what went through your head? All done. Honestly, honestly, absolute relief um it it was such a strange feeling like I know I probably should have been slightly self-conscious the fact I was going around with a buzz cut um but just the fact that I physically could not pull my hair gave me such a sense of relief it was indescribable it was kind of the same with when I got this hair system because I physically can't pull the hair on top of my head um it's just this absolute sense of relief even though I have the tension there and I still have urges Mm -hmm. the fact that I couldn't just lifted all the stress off me it was one of the best decisions I've ever made although like it didn't stop me pulling as soon as I got long enough to pull I always did um and I eventually did try and grow it back it was just the best decision ever just to give myself two years of complete relief it was wonderful two years so when it would grow back you would trim it again yeah, I eventually just bought myself a pair of clippers and every two or three weeks I just shave it off. Because um, as soon as it got to like even le- like less than an inch, just long enough for me to get a handle on it, I would just pull it out. Okay. So yeah, I kept it, I kept it buzzed for, I'd say the best part of two years. And then after that, yeah, at the beginning of, when did I win? lockdown one I decided to try and grow it back but actually that was probably a bit of a mistake (laughs) bad timing but oh well now you mentioned you have a hair system now can we talk a little bit about that yeah so um I am a member of the we have a UK support group and one of the girls who goes to that support group she has a hair system much smaller than mine I think it's only on the top of her head but she was talking about it and she was saying how she hadn't pulled her hair in ages because it was covered um and it looked so natural you couldn't tell at all so I asked her for the details about it Mm -hmm. um and it turns out there are lots of places in London that do them so essentially what they do is whatever remaining hair you have it's attached onto it Mm -hmm. so like this is like physically attached to my head um So then there's like a layer of mesh as well. So like all here, I actually can't get to my hair at all because it's just all mesh and all the way around here. Mm -hmm. Um, So then my parents, they said they pay for it because I think, you know, as my mom said, you can't really put a price on healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, as someone who pulls their hair, this is healthcare. It's allowing your hair to grow and get healthy again. Mm -hmm. So they luckily said they'd pay for it. But no, it's such a great decision. I haven't pulled my hair since I got it two months ago. and it it yeah it was it was a big ordeal getting it put on it took around i think like seven or eight hours (laughs) because they have to put on the mesh pull through the hair 
Um, and then they physically sew on layers and layers and layers of hair the whole way down. And then they have to style it because it's just a blank slate. So yeah, seven or eight hours. Wow. Um, but well worth this, definitely. And how long does it last until you want it all? Uh, two years, wow. really. Um, so yeah, cool. so it's, it's pretty good. I mean, it's real human hair, so it, it lasts quite well. You're able to wash and style it as usual. You just have to be careful because it can get quite dry because you don't have your own natural oils going through it. Mm. But yeah, best part of two years, you just have to go back every six to eight weeks to get it tightened because it's attached to your head by your own hair. There's kind of like these little beads that are attaching it onto your own head. And obviously your hair grows over time and it gets looser and looser. Mm. So you need to get it tightened every six weeks. And then every six months they take the whole thing off. They treat your scalp and they treat your natural hair and then they put it back on again. Wow. That's great. And it, does it have any like pain or is it just pretty comfortable? And um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty painful when you get it tightened because it, it's that kind of feeling of the tugging on your hair. Like I know, say maybe yourself, you know, if you have your hair tied back for ages, you get kind of an aching feeling. So you get that aching feeling for around two days, but it, it's fine. You just, I just would take a few paracetamol and then it would calm down. So it's not too bad. Mm -hmm. I have, um, I have tape and extensions. So like it, it, you know, it blends in, but I do have that first week or two where it's like, it hurts to kind of move them and I'm like, oh, but then yeah. it goes away and then so someone asked you what what the name of the system or where you went or yeah so it's called it's called a hair system um there's a few places that do it there's i got it in a place called hair solved which is in north london um there's also one called the hair confidant which is in wimbledon which is a different company and then there's also lucinda ellery so she has a few in the uk and i think she has a center in ireland as well in belfast and, and she has a few in the states so i think she has a salon in new york and then possibly la nice. something like that so i don't know how widespread they are in Europe, I know that I had a look where I'm from in Dublin and they don't seem to have anywhere, but because I know that's that's Vibka asking. So I'm not sure about Germany, but there, there probably is. I'd say it's something that is widespread enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's take a moment to talk about our magic shirt. <laughs> I thought Katie commented saying, yeah. nice shirt. <laughs> yeah, so shout out to Katie. Katie is someone who is awesome. She is a, a BFRB as well. And she created these shirts um, that proceeds go to the PLC Foundation. They're just super, super cool. Let's talk about the moment you saw it and you were like, I, I need this shirt. And it's still available. <laughs> still available? Still available, says Katie. <laughs> so when you saw this, you were like, I need this. What, what was that moment like for you? Oh, it was great. Yeah, because I saw, I think, I think it was TLC were advertising them. Um, and it's just so nice having something I can wear that's kind of consistently raising support with no effort. Mm -hmm. You know, I can go out around town and just wear the yeah, face that she hopped on. <laughs> um, I can just go around wearing it all the time. And, you know, I'm assuming some people will go, what's that? And look it up. Um, so, yeah, no, it's just so nice to have something that kind of raises awareness while I'm just sitting around. <laughs> And I like the idea of having someone look it up. Yeah, look it up. Learn about it a little bit. You know, and see yeah. if this is 
this could probably be something that you relate to. I think a lot of people, um, you know, they think we have care about. They go, oh, either I do something like that, or someone I know does something like that. So it's really a, mm -hmm. a great, you know, way to raise awareness. And for me, I, I hid so long with my trick. Now I'm so like loud and proud of it that I, I love to wear, um, I love to wear things like this. I'm reading. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Having that reminder that we're in this like huge, really, really wonderful community. And it's just really awesome. Mm, definitely. So when you first started posting on Instagram, were you shocked at how many other people were kind of like open about their, their BFRB? Yeah, I guess it took me a while to find the community because um, I didn't I didn't start really being open about it on Instagram. I mean, I, I, I had posted once or twice talking about it, but I didn't kind of start regularly posting about it until I'd encountered other people who do that. Mm -hmm. um, just to know that there is a community there and there are people who do that with their Instagrams and their socials. Um, like one, I was definitely surprised with the amount of people who've gotten on to me after me talking about it and saying, oh, I do that, or, mm -hmm. you know, I really appreciate you posting this and that sort of thing. But, yeah, once I started looking around Instagram, there's actually there's so many pages of people. This is what they do, and all they do is raise awareness, and it's great. Like, mm -hmm. you know, some of these people with thousands and thousands of followers, and, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a kid, when Instagram started, when I first got Instagram, I don't think those pages existed. So it's great. It's a brilliant way of raising awareness. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy for the younger generations who are, like, growing up with Instagram, because Instagram can be, like, a scary place, but I have found that um it's also like amazing i went in here you know making the trickster diaries i was really super and i had so much inspiration around me for people who just owned it and if i had that when i was young how much different would my life have been yeah because of that so i'm just happy for them to see yeah sure i even i've scrolled through tiktok a few times and come across a few people talking about on tiktok mm -hmm. which is great I, I, came, I came across a video ages ago and yeah it was a girl it was a girl with trick and she was talking about it and i'd say there were like a hundred comments of people being i do this too i think i have this too and it was it was like amazing i mean i know they think that i think around one in 20 people have some bf4b but just from looking, say, at those videos and looking at the comments, you'd, I think it might even be more. Mm -hmm. It really seems like something very widespread, but because there's such a stigma and such a shame and people hide it so much that it's just very difficult to identify how many people there actually are. Mm -hmm. Now, what advice would you give to someone who is kind of on the verge of wanting to be open about trip or any BFRB? Yeah, um... I guess, yeah, do whatever you're comfortable with. Um, I don't, you know, I'm very happy that I was open about it and I'm very, very happy, you know, that I'm loud and proud now, but I realise that that's very difficult to do. Um, it's very difficult to be open about mental health in general, but especially when it's something that no one's heard about. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a lot of explaining. I had a lot of messages and questions and people going what's this never heard of it mm -hmm. um so if you are wanting to be open I think that's just something to be aware of is you will probably get a lot of questions because mm -hmm. 
unfortunately, people don't understand and they haven't heard of it. I mean, it's great that you can explain it to them and they do know, but it is it is a lot. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say as well, I mean, I know I went about it by myself, um, but I know I have a few friends who they would have been coming along to support groups before they started talking to people. So it meant about it. So it meant we could give them advice and we could help them. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is probably a good idea if, if you're considering telling people about your BF4B it's probably an idea to ask someone who's done it mm-hmm. and ask them what they think mm-hmm. uh, you know whether you want to tell everybody all at once whether you want to just tell a few friends whether you want to do actual proper advocacy and start talking about lows I think it probably is a good idea to approach someone who is open about it and ask them mm-hmm. Yeah, and just for a bit of advice and a bit of help. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Let's talk about the support groups. How did you find them? How did you get involved? And can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so luckily, I guess, on one hand, the, like pandemic is absolutely awful. But there have been some serious positives that have come out of it. Mm-hmm. For instance, everything going online and support groups being opened up to people all over the world. Because depending on where you are, there is very little support, mm-hmm. especially for BF4Bs. I know in the States there is quite a lot because that's where the TLC charity is. Mm-hmm. So they have they have a base there. There's a lot of support groups going. But kind of the further east you go, um, Ireland, very, very, very little support. Um, UK, we have our support group there, but it's, it's just quite quiet. Um, so lock actually you know previous to lockdown i was attending a support group in dublin uh which was specifically for hair pulling it was once a month run by uh the ocd ireland charity but unfortunately that hasn't happened for well over a year now uh because of covid but luckily for me is tlc started having their support groups online um and their community rooms so that's what I ended up going to is they had a community room every two weeks, I think, um, which happened at around 8 p.m. my time, um, which I started going to just, I guess, I knew that my, my trick had just gotten so bad because we were in lockdown. I pull so much at home. That's that's just where, that's that's where I do it. I'm not one to pull my hair in public or in front of people. It's just at home when I'm alone. So obviously lockdown was very, very difficult for me because I was home all the time and I couldn't leave. I couldn't escape. So that was, yeah, so it was getting pretty bad. So then when I saw they had the community room every two weeks, I decided to turn up one day. Um, And I was very lucky that on that community room, uh, Jude Stevenson was on it. And she, she was there and heard my accent and went, hey, you're Irish, you should come to the UK support group because we have, you know, a few Irish people there. Um, And that's kind of when that started, when I started building this massive community as I started in the States first with the community rooms. And then I started going to the UK support group, which was actually weekly during the first pandemic, the first lockdown. Mm -hmm. And just met so many wonderful people and got so much support. And for me, at least, this is what's, helped me gain so much acceptance of it and become so much more open was because of the support groups. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. And then, yeah, it, it, the schedule is pretty um, 
regular, but do they have different times in case you miss them or? Yeah, so at the moment, the they're not running the community room anymore. Uh, the TLC charity aren't, but they're hoping to get it back. They, they might do like once every now and again. Um, then they have support groups, but they're quite late at night. So if you're on in GMT, kind of where we are, they're really late. I think there's around, they're on midnight my time. Okay. Yeah, Katie's saying the community rooms are such a blessing. Absolutely agree. Um, then the UK support group is once every two weeks. So it's the first and third Sunday of the month from two until 3.30. So, you know, if, if you miss one, there's one two weeks later. They're pretty regular. And we also have uh, a Facebook group. So if people need help in between those two weeks, then there's loads of us there to help out as well. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Um, so you mentioned therapy. When you first started going, did you find that therapy knew what trigger telomania was or did you kind of have to go to a few before you found one that knew? Yeah. Um, so in so towards the end of uh, secondary school, so I think high school in the States, um, I started just going to the school reverend for a bit of help because I was really, really struggling with anxiety. I think coming up with coming up to end of exams and going to university, I just needed a bit of help. So I first started with him and he hadn't heard of hair pulling, but he said that he used to have a girl who came to him who used to impulsively brush her hair. So I think that's kind of a similar strain. It's a less, less common one, but it's a similar strain. Then when I first started going to uh, therapy, I luckily my mum, one of her best friends is a psychiatrist. So she asked her, you know, do you happen to know anybody who would know about hair pulling? Because mm -hmm. I think at that stage, that was very much the focus and what I needed to get sorted. So she knew, um, she knew about all BFRBs and she had treated loads of people with them before. She specialized in BFRBs and OCD, um, mostly, but she did like addiction, that sort of thing. Um, but what ended up happening was <laughs> when I started going to her, my hair pulling wasn't as bad. It was still bad, but we really identified that actually my anxiety at the time was having much worse impact on my life. Mm. So even though she knew loads about hair pulling and BFRBs, she ended up more being a therapist for anxiety for me instead. Um, but she was my first person. I've been to therapists since, and usually I have to tell them what it is. Usually they don't know, mm -hmm. um, which I think is quite common, especially over this way, uh, Ireland and England. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've had to, every therapist I've had since, I've had to tell them what hair pulling is, what BFRB is. Mm -hmm. These are um, trying to explain that, you know, it isn't about getting to the root of the cause because the hair pulling or the BFRB is the root. It's, it's a disorder in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's 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 interesting it's 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 not great having to explain your mental health disorder to a mental health mm -hmm. specialist mm -hmm. uh but unfortunately it's very common with bf4bs mm -hmm. yeah and it's i would call i mean when i was younger um i had some that knew and then i would go to other people and they would ask me if I see bugs crawling on the walls or voices. And I'm like, get me out of here. You don't know what I'm doing. 
And when I got older, I would like, you know, call and leave a message and be like, do you know what this is? Like, I, I don't want to come in, meet you, like, unless you know, because it is exhausting. To Let me share this and educate you how to educate me. You know, it's like, I can. But another great thing yeah. about the TLC Foundation is they have, you know, the support, they have the, the that are specializing in BFR. So you can kind of mm -hmm. do those steps that we had to go through to get, you know, that professional help that, that you look for. Yeah. I, uh, I think, like, for the States, it's because I know I know they have like a whole list of, of therapists and psychologists that know about it. But they're mostly in the US. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's really not many this side of the pond. Like, I was very, very, very lucky that my first therapist knew what they were mm -hmm. and had other clients with it. That was so unusual. Um, but yeah, I think at this stage over kind of UK, Ireland, they really need to start educating uh, therapists on it like I know I know one Pavit Thatcher is training to be a BFRB mm. therapist which will be fantastic but she's going to be so busy because <laughs> I don't think there will be anyone else I think she's going to be the only one mm. um, but it would, it would be definitely be so nice just to you know even I don't know what a therapist courses are like but just to have a little bit about it I know Jude includes uh, lectures on BF4Bs in her lectures now um, which is great up in Glasgow but it's it's so weird to think that a condition that is so common and has such a massive impact on people mm -hmm. that therapists don't know about it. it it's it's the same thing as say like a therapist not knowing what I don't know schizophrenia has the same rate or slightly slightly lower actually mm. OCD again has I think lower rate than BFRPs they think but if you went to a therapist and they didn't know what OCD was Mm. you would be absolutely shocked mm. like absolutely shocked <laughs> so that's kind of what we're working with they're, they're so 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 common mm. and have such a negative impact on people but there's just so little awareness mm. oh you're frozen on me Ooh. there we go oh sorry sorry it was like floating i'm like um, no, definitely. And it, it is so nice to hear that you know someone studying to do. I think that now, I think that all of us that experience of, I have to tell you what I'm going through, you know, more people are going to go into that field just to that, that, that idea that we have to come in and, and share about us. Um, now that you have the system with with your hair before that did you have any things that you would do to kind of lessen your urges when pulling um to lessen urges i guess the only thing that would lessen urges would be distractions mm -hmm. for me um so I play like quite a few musical instruments. So if I went and I played, I don't know, say piano for a while, that would usually get rid of them. Um, going for walks, just keeping my hands busy, trying to distract myself. I never found a way of making an urge go away. <laughs> mm. um, but that was the only thing I could really do to stop them. I, I just would have to distract myself. Unfortunately, it did mean, especially during university, kind of, in my late teens, early twenties, um, 
I was kind of ridiculously busy all the time. Uh, I was the type of person who never sat still. Uh, I did things every single day of the week. I met people all the time. I was always go, 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 because it meant that I wasn't giving myself time to get urges. Mm. But unfortunately, that's not healthy. <laughs> it's not healthy to be so active all the time and never giving yourself a break. Mm -hmm. So it really took a toll, you know, after a few years of never giving yourself a break, you really, you will just eventually crash, which happened to me, unfortunately, a few times. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I think I do notice with myself as well, when I am busy, when I'm focused on other things, it is, trick is finally in the back of my mind. Let me go home. Mm -hmm decompressing from the day and I'm like oh you know here I am so it is hard it's hard to find that um that balance of like it's relaxed but like the way that's not detrimental to my yeah yeah see I got I got to a stage where I was almost afraid to relax because I knew as soon as I relaxed I'd pull my hair mm -hmm. so and that really just, it's not, it's not good for you. It's not healthy. I mean, if anything, the hair pulling was probably healthier than the way I was acting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, permanently being, doing things, you know, I was in, it's ridiculous. I had like music rehearsals, like four, four days a week. Mm -hmm. I was always meeting up with people, going out loads, mm -hmm. just it's never really giving myself the chance to decompress and relax because I was so afraid to give myself the chance to decompress and relax because I knew I just pull my hair because personally I'm the type of person I pull my hair when I'm bored and I pull my hair when I'm relaxed less so as a emotional regulation kind of mechanism okay. um occasionally when I'm really stressed or really anxious I would but it's more just when I'm not feeling many emotions at all mm. that's when I do it so for me, just the, the thought of being relaxed and being alone mm -hmm. and relaxed was big no for me, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is something I've had to really come, in, come into terms with and really learn. I think that's one good thing about the pandemic was I had to force myself to relax. I had no other choice. I didn't have rehearsals all the time. I couldn't meet up with friends. I couldn't be doing loads of things mm -hmm. all the time. So I had to relax. And yes, it did mean I pulled my hair way, way, way more than I ever have, but I think, on the other hand, is probably better for me. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you don't want to be running, especially like running on empty, because you're running mm -hmm. so long. How can you? Run it? So, how are you doing now with that? Are you able to manage it better with you know being able to relax? Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely doing way better. I've, I've developed a lot of skills and tools, especially over after lockdown. I, I've, I've developed loads, so now. You know, I I really like crocheting. I learned how to crochet. I like crocheting. So if I'm finding my, if my hands are really fidgety, I have like, I got a really nice, for Christmas, my family gave me this. It's like a, it's like a crochet bag that has llamas on it and little things of wool. So I have just a few balls of wool in there and my crochet needles. So I can, if I'm feeling really fidgety, I can do that and it relaxes me. I've also gotten back into reading. Um, I stopped reading. I used to, as a kid, I was the type of kid who I'd wake up two hours early so I could lie in bed and read for two hours. Um, and again, like I spent so much of my time reading. If I was on holidays, I was reading after school, reading mm -hmm. all the time. 
Um, but unfortunately then when I started pulling my hair for me I'd always pulled my hair when I was reading Um, so I kind of stopped which was really sad um, because it was something I just I really enjoyed I really enjoy reading but I just had such a negative association with it then because I knew if I was sitting down and reading I'd probably end up with a ball patch so that's something I've gotten back into is I've started reading again Um, and luckily for me is I usually will sit on the couch uh, and read beside my boyfriend and if he notices me going for my hair not anymore because I'm not pulling it right now mm. if he notices me going for my hair he'll just kind of gently take my hand <laughs> and hold it so then I can read it so that's been really good and that's really helped me relax and um, I've also gotten really into cooking over lockdown so I I, I love it it's like for me it's kind of my meditation like just sit there or stand there and just cook and cook for hours so that's been really helpful. Yeah, so I guess I've, I've built up tools now to help myself relax, but it's, it's still difficult. I'm still, I wouldn't say I'm good at it and I wouldn't say I'm good at taking time to let myself relax, but I'm getting better. I don't, I don't have that desire to be busy all of the time anymore. Well, that's great. That's really good. That's great. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the moment you decided to tell your boyfriend about your trick? Was that something you said? I didn't. <laughs> I know he's listening in the next room. Um, I didn't tell him. I posted it on Facebook because I was saying we'd literally just started dating and I told everybody at the same time. Mm. Actually, I don't even think we were officially together at that stage. So I, I didn't tell him. I told everybody at the same time. So I guess what was so nice then is I was going into a relationship as myself. I wasn't hiding anything. Nice which is brilliant and it's the first time it's happened it's the first time I've you know gone to a relationship or friendship or whatever and not had this thing I was hiding Mm -hmm. so yeah so I just he reacted really well he's very supportive (laughs) wonderful yeah and I think yeah it's beautiful how you did it you're just like here everybody here it is like let's do this um I love that I also love that you know I found when speaking to other tricksters about telling someone in the relationship that most of the time the person in the relationship is just like like I'm here for you like no problem and I in my mm. head and in other people's head they've said oh my gosh what if they break up with me what if they don't like me anymore it's the opposite type mm. of yeah I've never I, I'm very lucky I've never had a bad reaction I've never had a friend or a boyfriend or anything react badly um, I know other people have. I, I'm just, I'm very, very lucky that I guess I have a, I have nice, a nice friend group, you know. Um, I've had people not understand, mm-hmm. but that's not saying that they reacted negatively. It's more that they wanted to know more and they wanted to understand. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that is an issue as well with telling people is I think we build it up in our heads too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people I've told, I've gone, you know, oh, but, you know, I, by the way, I pull my hair They've kind of gone, okay, <laughs> kind of sure. Yeah. And I think, I, th- I think we forget that everybody has their problems. Everybody has something. It's not, I don't think I've ever met someone ever who doesn't have something that they're struggling with. So, yeah, I think we build it up in our heads so much. I think we think that if we tell people, they'll react badly. But I've never had that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a beautiful um, moment to end on. Do you have anything else you would like to share before we wrap up? Um, is there? 
I mean, I guess if there's anyone watching from the UK, I know you usually interview people from the States. Um, so if there's anyone watching from the UK or Ireland, you're very welcome to get in touch with me about our support groups because they are running every two weeks. Um, so it'd be lovely to see a few new faces. Um, yeah. And then other than that, just know that you're not alone in this. And there's, you know, one in 20 people have a BFRB. That is a massive, massive, massive percentage of the population. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Caroline. It's been really great. And I hope to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a nice Bye. Time. Bye.